0: Hey, everybody. Let's talk about real life. My name is Drew Stedding, and I'm here with my good friend, Keith Ashby. And so just to kind of give y'all a a wrap up of where we are and where we've come from. So we've told you a little bit about about ourselves, uh, what values we live by. And then we wanted to really kind of jump in and do a couple episodes, one for Keith, one for me, where we're both kind of talking about where we are. Um, Keith, thank you so much for the last episode when you really kind of delved in a little bit, and you're very vulnerable about abandonment, and I really appreciate that conversation.
1: Well, I appreciate you uh, walking down that road with me, and
0: uh, you know, I want to extend that same courtesy to you today. Just a little bit of a content advisory for this episode. We are going to be delving into the topic of suicide. Um, That can be a really heavy topic for people to listen to, so I wanted to make sure that people had an opportunity to kind of Taken out. Um, if you want to skip through this episode, um, I am going to talk pretty graphically about my experience in grief and as pertains to suicide in my family. If you, as a listener, are experiencing any kind of suicidal thoughts or you're just not feeling quite like yourself, we will in the show notes add some resources because I want to make sure that everybody who's undergoing some serious psychological pain. Gets the resources that they need. We're gonna po- we're gonna post stuff that is free and accessible, um, because that's part of our mission here. And let's talk about real life. So, I kind of want to start my story by talking a little bit about, um, actually, kind of going back full circle and talking about the coronavirus, because I think, in a lot of ways, that kind of really started, a lot of. Really profound things in motion, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we talked in the last episode about how the coronavirus really did put many people in the place of being with themselves in ways that weren't always super comfortable. In the future, I can talk about ways where I was really uncomfortable handling various elements of myself, you know, in quarantine, but I know for a fact that the coronavirus really did play a role in a lot of isolation that unfortunately my brother experienced when he, um, committed suicide. Yeah. And so, uh, in July of last year, my brother, Tommy, um, who's 19 years old, uh, took his own life and, uh, that's where I am. I have really been focused a lot on really thinking about the ways that in this life, I tell my story. And the things that I define myself by, I think I had a conversation with you, Keith, about how I was telling you how it felt that like for the rest of my life, I was going to be defined by grief. And I think thankfully, fortunately, right now I am more to a a place where I'm defining myself by resilience and being more integrated with grief. Right. One thing that I can share about where I have been though, is it's really been like a a stick of TNT went off in my brain. For those of you who haven't experienced a lot of grief, um, it really does feel like all of your functioning kind of gets thrown away. Yeah. Like I had to learn how to like manage my day-to-day affairs again. And you know, as somebody who doesn't have a traditional career anymore, mm-hmm. Life is all over the place anyway, right? <laughs> right? And and schedules, I mean, I'm a scheduled person, you know, I, I go to bed around the same time, I eat at the same time, yada, yada, yada. But after Tommy killed himself, all bets were off. You know, I was doing what I was going to do, if anything at all that day, right? Yeah, I don't really even know the best place to go because just like grief, it wasn't really a linear process. Right. Yeah. But the fact is, is that I know that Tommy experienced a lot of depression because of the coronavirus. you know, he was very much kind of a lost soul because there wasn't an articulated path ahead of him. You know, there was, you know, you maybe get a job, but where do you get a job and stay safe when we have an airborne infectious disease that's killing hundreds of thousands of people now? Um, and then there's the college row, which is like, you know, do I start college remotely or do I wait, you know? And I don't think a lot of those questions even still have answers for people right now. Oh my gosh. Thousands of people are just in this neighborhood are fighting this. What do you do? Exactly. I mean, I, my heart goes out for anybody who's especially a kid right now, because you know, we were talking about that earlier. This is a hard time to be a kid. It's a hard time to be a kid. Um, Tommy, he really didn't know what to do. And I think the the part that I still struggle with is taking away the terminology and the function of blame. Because when it comes to families and suicide, I think a lot of people, they rush to that anger and that blaming mentality. I sure did when I began uh, this what, process. What? How much of that did you put on yourself? Oh, a lot of it, like most of it. And then, I mean, I think it fluctuated. It went back and forth. It depended on what day or what hour. Um, I was pointing fingers at everybody, which included myself. And the fact is, is that the thing is about suicide is that a lot of time it occurs based on just a random set of circumstances that trigger. Um, the action, right? I mean, I guess I don't want to say random, but it, a lot of times suicide happens for folks where there's this perfect storm, you know, one thing isn't going right here and things not going right there. And then before you know it, every element of your life and your wellness is called into question. And I think that's very much what happened for Tommy, right? He didn't get the support that he needed from all of us as family members. That's true. And again, I'm trying to frame that in my mind without blame right you know there was that there was the lack of clarity and where his future was going to go there was obviously the lack of clarity within his mind because depression is a disease that causes chemicals to misfire we you know we think about the emotional side effects but we also think about the physical and so I think for Tommy it was the it was again it was that perfect storm of you know my emotions aren't right. Anyway, my family is not there for me in the ways that I want. And then, you know, he hung himself.
1: Very much in the midst of the Bermuda triangle of despair. Yeah. That's a
0: really good way to put it. And when you think about what somebody is going through, when they express they're struggling, you know, some of us go to the nth degree of like, yes, he's going to for sure kill himself and I have to save him. Some of us are more along the lines of, well, if I just keep talking to him, it'll be okay. And some are just in complete denial. Right. And there's a lot of other variations in. The it's a spectrum. spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good word. Good word. And I think for me, I fell along, you know, the first two, like I was really, really worried about him. I mean, we talked about it months before he died. Right. But. My previous position, you know, my previous job, I was, I worked with a lot of suicidal people who are around Tommy's age. Right. And I heard a lot of concerning statements and I always erred on the side of caution and I always try to get them resources. And I did the same for Tommy. How many in your career there did any of those people actually go through with it? Zero. So like, we had we had one situation with somebody who attempted. Right. But they were fine, thankfully. Yeah. And so I think a lot of that played into like my this, you know, false notion of like well, even if they make concerning statements, they'll probably be fine. Right. But like I think the other wrench to kind of throw into the fire here though is I did ask my brother at one point, do you ever have thoughts about ending your life and how likely would you want to do that? And he said that he thought about it but could never see himself doing it. So that's complication number a billion, right? right? I did the best that I could to always listen, but also me as a human being, I had to realize like that I can't be Superman. And something that I know that we're going to talk a lot, a lot more about in this series is about how we've both positioned ourselves as yes people right? because of a lot of the things that we've been through, right? And the fact is that I also have to share is that within my family, there's a lot of really difficult dynamics to put it lightly. There's a lot of mental health issues throughout my family, some of which who are in agreement with me on that, others are not. And so if any of my family members hear this, they might, well, I don't really care because here I am to be real about my perspective, right? Exactly. But so we have all this mental health stuff going on in our family and at varying degrees. And I know that that also impacted my brother and the way that he saw himself and the way that he saw himself in the family. And unfortunately, I think that really impacted the way that he saw um, his worth. Because again, you know, when you're a teenager and you graduate high school and there's nothing going on in your life, and you're just trying your best just to get up every morning, and you're not getting the most positive reinforcement from the people who are. Again, I don't want I don't want this to turn into like a family should do this and a family should do that. But in my opinion, there are a lot of things that. I wish would have been able to happen for him. Mm -hmm. And so that's really made this grief for me very complicated, but also what do I know about their day to day when I'm in Texas and they're in Michigan? Right. Exactly. And so I think that was a really humbling moment for me having to grant them a little bit of grace, because I know that despite the fact that I wanted to blame my family and I still have issues with it sometimes, I still had to realize that they thought they were doing the best that they could for him. Right. Yeah. And then I also had to come to the point of like, how do I grant myself that? Yeah. Because I'm human too. And unfortunately, like, I think the thing that really I struggle with still, and like, I want to be very vulnerable, I am fairly confident that I was the last person that he reached out to before he did it. Yeah. And I did not respond within a timely manner. I responded to the text message like 30 minutes later. I think that's unfortunately a detail that I have to walk with. And I have to deal with, but I also have to deal with that in a way that promotes me growing in resilience and being able to say to myself, true, you did the best that you fucking could for him. Yeah. I talked to him for hours a day, certain days. I listened to some of the most haunting cries, literal cries for help that I could. And, you know, unfortunately at that moment, like I was to my breaking point and I just was sitting. You were at- a mess
1: at this stage, and what was happening, even even before it got to the climax of what it was, you were you were struggling mm-hmm. with this for sure. Yeah, it was something you were living his emotions through those phone calls for sure. I saw it. I would call on you. you afterwards, you know, and yeah. be like,
0: "Keith, this is just what I went through, right?" But I always have been a person that has tried to like deal in a way that promotes growth but this has been one that's been just like you know really really hard and i think you know my i'm glad that you brought that up though because the first lesson so to speak that i was able to glean from this is that i cannot intertwine the content of everything that i live in the filters of other people's emotions yeah however I can, what I can also glean from that is clearly I care a lot about other people. And that's why I still want to be a life coach, do this podcast and share my story for people. But at the end of the day, I also have to give myself that time to decompress and that, that inner boundary, you know, again, that's something that I still have to struggle with every day.
1: You know, when I listen to you talk about your brother. And you missing that text message and then responding at whatever time. Do you still hold that over your head
0: today? Um, yes and no, I think about it a lot, but I also add some other thoughts too. So one thing that I really do try to live by is understanding the role that my inner world plays in my life. Um, one thing that. I've developed to coach other people is this, what I call the self-artistry model, which is basically we write these stories about what our life is and what it means inside our own heads. Mm-hmm. And that influences the way that we feel and the way that we act. And at the be- at the onset of all of this grief, I made that mean, or that text message and missing that mean that I'm a horrible brother and I could have saved him. Yeah. And that means that I was a failure and it means that I'm the reason that he's dead. But now I read that as I wasn't in a place to respond. Mm-hmm. I was taking—I was literally eating food from a food truck, watching some bullshit on television, taking care of my needs in the best way that I knew how at that time, and then I saw a text message from my brother, and then I responded with something lovingly, which means I loved my brother, and I helped him in every way that I could. Yeah, I prefer that story to the first story. And, and here's the thing, you know,
1: me watching this play out, right? You know, the hardest thing I think to like accept about all this is it is not your job to lift somebody up. And here's the thing, let you may not have even been close to being able to do it you may have ended up in a situation where you were in the middle of that while it was occurring
0: well exactly like like holy shit yeah i've been thinking about that too it's like you know what if because like the plan was to get him to texas and he was going to live with us yeah you know and i literally could have walked in on it as he did it or after he did it right yeah because the thing is is that we also can't be fortune tellers, right? We right. don't, most of us don't have that ability. I do believe that people have that ability, but that's a different episode. But the fact is, is that I've really had to really just kind of zero in on the fact that like focusing on what could have, should have happened doesn't get me anywhere near healing. Yeah. The fact is, is that it happened. He's dead but I get to choose what to do with it. Right. Yeah. There was a lot of ripple effects to this too, though, as I mentioned, blame, like I didn't talk to my family members for six months. Right. I had a really horrible falling out with an aunt who actually sent me a pretty scathing text message. There's a whole lot that goes into that. And I would love to talk about that at a different time, but you know, I really felt that like, because you know, these family members didn't do what I thought they should have done for him you know, meant that I didn't want them in my life anymore, which honestly couldn't have been farther from the truth. You know, I do. That's the thing. I don't blame them because Tommy was the one who picked up the tools that he used. He was the one who made that decision. Right. Mm -hmm. But also like he was hurting and he could have used some different interventions. Right. But also none of that changes anything. No. And the fact is, is that I had to sit down and look in the mirror one day and I had to ask myself like, who do you want to be in this moment? What values do you have and how do you want to act? And I decided that day that I wanted to act out of love over anger. And it doesn't mean that I can't still be angry. However, they're also really good people and they also love in the best ways that they can. And they've loved me in a lot of really great ways. You know what I mean? And so I had to really take in the totality of what gifts they have given me and the privileges I have because of what they've given me. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I had to see through all of that blame and call it what it was. It was anger. Mm -hmm. It was hurt and still is all of those things. But guess what? I also love my mom and I love my mom. My mom is my grandmother. Um, and reconnecting with them helped me yeah it helped me regain a sense of who i am and where we can go as a family Mm -hmm. and again it doesn't mean that i overlook flaws because i don't (laughs) i call people on their shit in a way that's really hopefully respectful i like to say i like to call people in rather than call people out like let's have a real dialogue i'm going to tell you how i feel you you know i'm not going to allow other people to dictate how i feel I'm also going to invite the other person in, right? And so Mm -hmm. having these conversations with them in the last few weeks is, by the way, y'all, this has been a two-week thing. Like, we're just back together as a family, kind of. The aunt is another story. She can be over there for a while, but I still love her. It's it's hard to love her, but I do. We just can't talk right now. We are not cool like that right now, but we will hopefully get there. But anyway, so, you know, I decided that I was going to love over anger, love over hate because I I know that's also what Tommy would have wanted. Right. But the other thing that I got to with all this journey is that I realized that me doing that for me was really helpful. But I think for a lot of us too, who have experienced death in the most traumatic ways, we need to figure out a way to do something for the people who have left us. Because, you know, some of us leave through cancer and like, it's a, you know, they're being pulled out of the door. Right. But Tommy walked out of that door and he slammed that motherfucker. You know what I mean? And so I want to honor that for him. And one thing that I'm really excited to announce on the podcast is I'm actually uh, starting my independent film career, and I am working on a very intense uh, independent film yeah. about grief. Yeah. Um, I don't. To be honest with y'all, I don't know what it's going to be called yet. I have I, I call it something, you know, project something like you know, you know, project Buckle Bunny or something, which by the way is a good beer, but. We don't have any sponsorship deals yet, so we don't want to go there. But anyway, (laughs) me making this film, though, has really... its Number one, it's been an anchor for me. It's been something that I can focus on to make sure that I'm functioning to the best of my ability that day. Mm -hmm. But it also allows me to give... To keep Tommy's voice here, in a way. You know, the film is really fucking weird. There's going to be no dialogue. My partner Ryan is playing the Grim Reaper. It's almost like a music video fused acid trip, video diary. You know, I'm working with a really fantastic friend, Nefarious Nia of Nefarious Productions. Having that outlet, I think, is really important for us as we navigate grief. And to kind of bring it full circle a little bit to our previous podcast and when we're talking about abandonment, because I I wholeheartedly believe that when we have some of the most strong emotions within ourselves that are quote unquote negative or challenging they're always a result of ways that we've abandoned ourselves Mm. and i think tommy's death really forced me to make the choice of am i going to abandon myself or am i going to go along this journey and i think there were some mornings where you know i was just laying in bed all day And I wasn't present with myself. And I think that's natural though. And like, I don't think that abandoning yourself is always inherently like this horrible thing. But my hope is for anybody dealing with this is that you can find something to anchor you. You can find that film. You can find that person that you can call on the phone.
1: I remember the day you called me,
0: or texted me, Mm -hmm.
1: and told me your brother died. I was sitting on this couch in this very spot. (sighs) And it was a moment in life. It was like a gun was fired in this house. It was just this ringing deafening silence. I think I sat here for like an hour just absorbing what it was. And like,
0: yeah. Cause you know what my brother meant to me?
1: Oh fuck. Yeah. And it was, it was a heavy, heavy moment. I say that because this has been, you know, a big spiritual journey for me this year. For all of us, yeah. Yeah, and there's a there's somebody that I have been, you know, listening to and kind of following some teachings mm-hmm. of called Ram Das.
0: I listen to the same podcast actually here and now, right? Yeah, it's incredible. Be here now. Be, Be here, here now. now. Yeah.
1: And there is an episode on there where he talks about when someone takes makes the decision to take their life. I don't know if I've ever sent this to you. And that's why, uh, forgive me a moment ago, I pulled my phone on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was looking and I was trying to find it because I wanted to give you a quote from it because it was so powerful. And we'll just have to link it in the show notes. And yeah. quite frankly, you should listen to the whole thing. And when I say you, I don't just Everybody, mean you, Drew, yeah. Anybody in this call, if you've ever experienced this loss, because it's a heavy thing and... There's a whole lot of blame a whole lot of judgment and everything that happens and fingers are pointed in every direction and at the end of the day who are we to make someone's decision for them right to stay or to leave or Mm -hmm. whatever in this life
0: and that's what i ultimately had to come to with this right it's it's realizing that I think a lot of this made me think about all of the ways that I was trying to take control of Tommy's life in certain ways. Like I, I had this prescribed notion for how I wanted him to move forward. Right. And granted, I think it's only natural for all of us to not want their loved ones to kill themselves. Right. But like part of the, I call it, it's that radical acceptance of like, you know, I don't respect the decision still, you know, to kill yourself in general, but that's also where his path led. Right. And again, I, I don't think I'll ever get to the point nor, nor should anybody get to the point of saying like, you know, this was meant to happen, but also there's this part of life that like, you know, there's this quote um, that I really love from Byron Katie. It's, you know, when you argue with reality, you lose 100% of the time. <laughs> and like, so true. it is, it is. <laughs> and so, when we try to fight that and fight other people's decisions, whether it's something as deep as suicide or something as big as like, Oh, you shouldn't wear that shirt. Like it's part of that grace and part of that, like allowing others to be human. I think ultimately the ways that we treat ourselves are mirrors to how we've interacted and or how we've judged other people are a lot of the ways that we judge ourselves, you know, the role of projection and all that. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I say all this to say that, you know, again, if you are experiencing loss by suicide, I want to, actually, I want to note that there's a lot of literature about suicide out there, but, like, there's not a lot of things that I've read about complications and family dynamics as it with regards to suicide. However, the other thing that I just kind of got to recently was, like, you know, as I was reading a lot of these books about suicide, I'm like, well, but what about the people who blame and this and this? It's like, but the messages are just accepting that and accepting that everybody's going to have their own perspective on what happened and we're not going to always agree with it but again if we can get to that point where we sit ourselves in the mirror and we ask ourselves who do i want to be for my family or who do you want to be for the other people who are related to the person who's passed and what actions do i want to take and the fact is is that it takes a long time to get there and i'm surprised i even got there however many months it's been, right? The other thing that I want to share with the audience is that this doesn't mean that I've arrived. You know, I've, I haven't have conquered <laughs> grief. Like You're just here now. Like, I'm here now. I'm making a movie. I am making a podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm launching my career. But like, I mean, I was crying about Tommy like at noon or something. I mean, I was a mess yesterday. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. If we make the decision to accompany our grief in a way that, allows us to get close to it, because I think a lot of times, again, when we abandon ourselves in this, it's because we're not looking at what emotions we're facing. And when we can look at all of these emotions and invite them along for the journey and not treat our emotions as like extra baggage that we don't want to really deal with, we can really get closer to this peace. And just to wrap it up, like with my family, I also, I agreed that I wasn't going to take their pain with me, but I'm going to understand my own pain in a way that's closer, which made me more able to connect to them again. Yeah. Because we have to connect to ourselves. Because when you don't connect to yourself, it means you don't trust yourself. And we gotta trust what comes because it ebbs and flows. And that my friends is what happens when you talk about real life.